Good morning, everyone. It's good to be able to meet with each other, even if it is online. Um, thank you to all who have contributed before this. This is a pre-recorded message. Unfortunately, we don't have Shane speaking to us this morning, and I'm not familiar with the technology to do a, a live service, so it's a pre-recorded one. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. Um, I'm going to read just a in a little while from Isaiah chapter 6. But before I do that, um, just to ask ourselves a few questions. What is man's greatest need? It is, I would suggest, to know God. Uh, God gave us his word for one purpose in particular, and that was to reveal himself to mankind. And yes, it, the Bible does show us the way of salvation. It shows us how we should live with each other. It shows us where we came from and the meaning of life. But all of these are a byproduct of knowing God personally. And God has various characteristics that he has revealed to us. Um, we call these the, the attributes of God. And so we say God is omniscient. That is to say he knows everything. And we have some understanding of what it is to know things because we ourselves are rational beings. We can understand, we can know things ourselves. Or we would say God is omnipresent. That is to say he is in all places at all times. And we can understand that because we ourselves have a sense of time and space. But I believe the greatest attribute of God that we should seek to understand, and yet it is beyond our understanding, is the holiness of God. And that's what I'd like to take a look at this morning. It's, it's something that is impossible for us to, to understand. We know it when we see it, so to speak, and I say that loosely, but we struggle to define it, to comprehend what it is, perhaps because we ourselves are in no way holy in and of ourselves. God alone is holy, and all holiness comes from him. And the reason I want to deal with, with holiness more than any other thing is, it is elusive, yes, but it is surely the most important attribute of God that we should seek to understand. Why? Well, there are a number of reasons I'd give. I will say, for example, of holiness. It sustains, if, if we seek to understand the holiness of God, it will sustain a struggling marriage um, in that it teaches us to fear God, that we're accountable to him. And so people who believe in the holiness of God will realize, I cannot behave the way I want to behave. I must behave properly in the eyes of God. Equally, it will lead Secondly, to a, a just or an honest society again, because the fear of God, the sense of his holiness, gives us that sense that we cannot just do what we want, live as we want. We are accountable to God. Thirdly, it puts our fears in perspective. If God is holy, if he is as glorious as the scriptures say, then really other things in life are not so, not so big. Everything else is put in perspective. It gives us a different vision of God. What else matters when we have such a God as this? Another reason is it's the basis for our salvation. The scriptures tell us that the fear of the Lord, the understanding of him and his holiness, is the beginning of wisdom. And it, it leads us to, to seek God. But finally, above all, we should seek to know the holiness of God because it is his right that we should appreciate his holiness, that we should seek to understand him because he is holy 
above all other things. God is holy. And the book of Isaiah, this chapter, um, it's been warning of man's sinful behavior um, up to chapter 6. It, it, chapter 6, it, it describes the, uh, Isaiah's vision of the holiness of God. But before that, it, it, God is warning, saying, Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness with cart ropes. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And these are the things God is saying. Man is sinful and he wants someone to warn them. So he gives Isaiah a a vision of himself. And here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they cover their faces, with two they cover their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And we leave the reading at that. And immediately after that, God asks, Who will go for me? And immediately Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. And God gave his servant Isaiah a vision of his holiness. What was it that Isaiah saw that was so life-transforming? Well, let's try and understand what what is meant by holiness. And I I remember chatting with some people one time, uh, one of them saying their grandmother was a very, very holy person, a very holy woman. She was very good, uh, very holy. And what was it that made her holy? Well, it was her religious behavior. She'd go to mass, she'd go to church, she'd say the rosary and things like that. So for him, she was a holy person in her behavior. Or sometimes we might think of a place as being holy, whether it would be sacristy in a church or a place where they say a miracle has happened or a location that's been blessed by some religious ritual. But in in describing holiness like this, we bring holiness down to our level. We reduce it to a worldly level. But unfortunately, in doing that, we are bringing God down to our level. God becomes more comfortable for us. But the Bible speaks of holiness in in a very, very different way. And here's what um, it says in Isaiah, or in Sinai, uh, in the book of Exodus, at, at the Mount Sinai, it says in chapter 19, verse 18, On the morning of the third day, there was a thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. The presence of God resulted in the very earthquaking. And it's, it's 
remembered in, in Hebrews, it says something similar when, when the writer to Hebrews says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking, that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. And that was the reaction of the people at the presence of the holiness of God, at his glory being revealed. Revelation says something similar. In Revelation chapter 11 it says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great storm. And it's the presence of God that makes something holy. It is God who is the source of all holiness. And how how do we define holiness? Well, Theologians will often say um, holiness is being separate or or set apart or cut off from something. Or we might describe holiness as absolute purity or perfection. But how do you describe the vision that Isaiah had in his holiness? No words can convey what holiness really is. And yet it is incumbent on us, it's essential that we seek to understand what the holiness of God is really like. And one writer described God's holiness as his transcendent majesty and his infinite moral purity. His transcendent majesty and his infinite moral purity. As I said, the reality is that God alone is holy. He is the source of all holiness. Holiness is is not possible to describe or understand. And we can never expect to comprehend it on this side of eternity. But we should still seek to know the holiness of God. Man is not holy. Nor is anything that we can do ever holy. There is no holy deed that we can ever do. Nothing in creation is holy in itself. All of creation is tainted by sin and therefore it cannot be holy. Something may be set apart unto God. And so we describe it as as holy, but it doesn't have any holiness in itself. It is God is the source of holiness. So what did Isaiah see? Well, when we take a look at it, we saw, Isaiah said he saw the Lord high and exalted. It was an overwhelming sight, towering above him, overshadowing him and making him feel his own sense of inadequacy, feeling like he is in the presence of glory. More than that, overpowering majesty it says the train of his robe filled the temple and we're we're talking about a building of such magnificence and there was isaiah and he said woe is me and it's it's um there there are times when we're impressed by by sights or or something we see you go to for example to a rock concert whether it would have been a something of the U2 or Michael Jackson or, or, or whatever it is. And all the special effects are there to, to shine the light, to shine the, the glamour, the glory on, on the one on stage, that that person or band would be the centre of attention and, and people would say, wow, wasn't it fantastic? But in this case, it was the source of the worship. In Isaiah's case, it was the source of the worship that radiated glory this was no rock concert display it did not depend on on lighting and special effects to convey anything to to the senses this was pure real glory god 
was the source of the glory. It radiated from him. It was he who gave glory to the surroundings. And God was terrifying in his glory, in his holiness. And then, following that, we read that the seraphs spoke. And the seraphs are in the presence of God. They declare his glory, his holiness. Their role is, is in heaven. There's no other mention in the whole of scripture um, about the seraphs. We have no record of anything else that they do but declare the glory of God. And they're not, we must remember, they're not tubby little cherubs with, with tiny wings that flutter around. These are terrifying, holy creatures who in the presence of God cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And it's indescribable. Perhaps, you know, you, you've been in the midst of a thunderstorm and, and you're, you're sitting in a room, perhaps. There is a storm outside and you're looking and you think it's magnificent and you, you hear the crack of thunder and, and maybe two or three seconds between the flash and the crack of thunder. But suddenly there is a crack right beside you and the lightning flashes down and it is frightening. Our whole being is frightened. The very room we are in shakes with the vibration. The air actually vibrates with it. That is the, the, the sense of, of wonder that Isaiah saw and felt when he was when he had that vision at the voices of the seraphs. This is not the voice of God. This is the voice of the seraphs alone and it is utterly terrifying. The, the whole atmosphere is charged with it. But this was no thundercrack that Isaiah saw. It was, as I said, the voice of the seraphs. They spoke and all of creation trembles. And their voice had one purpose, to declare the holiness of God. And the doorposts shook. It was, it was they, they received their power from God. And the reason I, I emphasize that is if created beings are so absolutely terrifying in their glory, what is God himself like in his glory? And that is what Isaiah saw. So what then is holiness? How can we describe it apart from the fact that it is terrifying? How can God reveal himself to us? Well, well, well the way I would say that God best reveals his holiness to us, to, to limited, sinful man, is by revealing his glory. And the glory of God is, is, is the revelation of his holiness. And it makes us cry out to glory to God. But unfortunately, because God's holiness is so alien to us, we have no comprehension of it. Um, it's only in revealing his glory that we get a glimpse, an idea of, of the effect of God's holiness. And, and this was Isaiah when he had the heavenly vision. He was not intrigued or impressed. He was devastated. He was utterly shaken to his very being. It was not a sense of, wow, this is fantastic. And he didn't expect anything good on himself. He expected doom. Woe is me. Or as other, other translations would put it, doom, doom, I am doomed. And it wasn't a, a cry of help or mercy, Lord. It was absolute despair. I'm finished. I have seen the living God ruined, undone, hopeless. These are the words that, that would be used and that's the, re, the reality of God's holiness for man. It is not that it's good for us. It is terrifying for we are sinners. And uh, Isaiah become absolutely aware 
of his sin. And that's the effect of the holiness of God in man. And in all of scripture, there, there's no other book that brings us into the, the presence of the holiness of God more than Isaiah, this particular chapter. The glory, the separateness of God, as much as uh, there's no other scripture that, that does it like this book. Why did God give this vision to Isaiah? What was it that, that God wanted for him? Well, it was to prepare him for the task that was ahead of him because God had a great task for Isaiah it was to declare his truth to to declare the, the word of God to his people and uh, I suppose why why then was it necessary for him to, to realize to have this, this vision of God's holiness and maybe the best way it's a poor illustration but it's supposing you were a connoisseur of wine I am not I, I have no idea of one good wine from another but there are those who do, and they will savour a good wine and say, this is rich, this is wonderful. But supposing you had a man, he had a bottle of the finest wine that he could get. It was expensive stuff, it was good stuff. And he had a few friends who were equally good wine tasters, and they knew the flavour of a good wine. And he said, it'll be my 40th birthday next week. I have this special bottle of wine. I want to invite my, my three close friends to taste the wine, the rich, and they told them about it, and they were saying, wow, this is so good. And so the day comes, he invites them around, they come around, and he shows them the wine, and it says, look at it in this bottle. He shows it to them, the label, he shows everything about it. He said, we can't wait for the flavor of this. And then he goes over to the sink, and he gets out four dirty mugs out of the sink, and he starts pouring this most expensive wine into dirty, unwashed mugs, chipped mugs. And his friends say, no, no, don't do that. You, you'll ruin the wine. You'll ruin it. That should be drunk from the, the richest, the, the very best of, of cups, the very best of, of glasses. And they would say, it's not right. It should be tasted from the most delicate of vessels. It will ruin it to put it into these things. Anything else is not fit but the very best glass for such a wine as this. And that was how Isaiah felt when he saw the holiness of God. I am not a fit vessel to carry the, the most wonderful message to, to man, the holy words of God. I am not fit to, for such a thing. And so that was why he, he said, I am undone. I live among a people of unclean lips and, and my lips are unclean. But when his lips were touched, he was told, you are clean. You are now fit to carry this most wonderful message to mankind. And that was God's way of preparing Isaiah for the task that was ahead of him. And as a result, when God said, who will go for me? Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Jesus had said, has said that it is not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him unclean, but what comes out of his man's mouth, for out of his heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, and it is within us, we are sinful. And Isaiah, though he was a good man in his society, he was a man of, of standing, a man of importance, but he knew in the presence of God, I am unholy. And only when his lips were cleansed did he feel, I can now declare God's holy truth. Isaiah saw the, the glory of God, he appreciated God's holiness, and he was 
he was absolutely overwhelmed and cried out in fear. He, he realized, I am not fit. I've seen God. I will surely die. We hear of the holiness of God. And well, the reality is that we ourselves, you know, Moses, for example, when, when he saw the glory of God, he was trembling with fear. And he said that. And saints in the Old Testament, when they met with the living God, when even in the New Testament, when Peter met with the living Jesus and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. But what do we do with the holiness of God? Well, the reality is that we have no understanding of the holiness of God and we bring God down to our level. Why do we do that? Well, it's because I believe the presence of God is a terrifying thing. It's not comfortable for sinful man to acknowledge the holiness of God. It's not pleasant. It's not easy. And the fact is that on Mount Sinai, but, but also in, throughout the Old Testament, God in his holiness is revealed. And God's people, when they see that, are terrified. And they change their ways. But we have changed our God to suit us. We can teach on giving to God. We can teach on evangelism, on sin. We can teach on moral behavior, on the use of our times, things like that from the scriptures. They're all relevant. But the greatest lesson we can learn, I believe, is the holiness of God. And the, the, the reality is that you and I will never truly see the holiness of God in this life. In these mortal bodies, the scriptures say, no man can see God and live. We're too sinful. I say alone in all of scripture had such a vision of the holiness of God. Moses saw the back of God and that was all. But we do not have the ability nor the right nor shall we ever see the holiness of God while we live in this mortal body because we are not fit. What man can see however is the glory of God and we do see that and we cry instinctively. We will cry glory. It may be a starlit night. Um, and, and sometimes you'll see the stars and say, oh, wow, wow. Or the morning that's filled with beauty or a, a fantastic view of something, the, the mountains or something like that. The wonder of the shoreline. And we say, wow. And no one who will look at those things, at, at the glory of nature, will say, wow, I'm not I wonderful to be here. We will just say, wow, this is wonderful. And the, the glory of God is the nearest that we can see to the holiness of God. Instinctively, we will say, wow. We're not comfortable with God's holiness because it is so unnatural to us. We are sinful. We are, our very being struggles with God's perfection because it means that we cannot live as we want to on this earth if we acknowledge God's holiness. We want to satisfy ourselves and we make a God that is comfortable to live with. And, and it's because... For various reasons, we will say, I do not want to surrender myself to God completely because it is too costly. If, if I acknowledge the holiness and the glory of God, it, is, it will soak up my entire life. It will call for everything from me. Or I do not want to surrender my children to the glory, the holiness of God. I want them to be safe and comfortable in my world. I don't trust God enough. To surrender my children completely to them. It is too frightening. Or we will say. I do not want to know the holiness of God. Simply because it is too demanding. In my own personal life. And so we create a God. Who is, who is nice. And it makes us feel good about ourselves. 
And it suits our sinful nature to have a God who is not too holy because he makes us feel important. Because we want people to like us and equally we want God to like us. We like to think that we're worth knowing, worth liking, worth spending time with. And so we bring God down to our level. But we should feel terror at the presence of God. The holiness of God is meant to make us feel uncomfortable for it's contrary to our sinful nature. And if, for example, we're ashamed of something we've done, some deed, and and we see the person, that's the only person who knows that dirty deed that I did. And we avoid them. We keep away from them. And so we want to avoid acknowledging the holiness of God because he knows all about us. And yet God in his glory is what Isaiah saw and it terrified him. It overwhelmed him and it caused him to give up all hope. He was at the mercy of God. So he felt hopeless. He could not imagine that there could be any mercy for him. Such was his sin. But then from that time on, God was truly able to use Isaiah. And I'm convinced that what any man or woman of God needs more than anything is to know the joy of complete surrender to a God who is holy. Not a sight of the love of God, nor of a vision of hell, nor a grasp of the love for the fellow man, but an understanding of the holiness of God. And only then can we truly be used by him, his holiness revealed to us. And a life that has experienced the the holiness of God, a life that has experienced the forgiveness of God, can never be the same. Isaiah never was after that. He was changed forever. In the same way, Job, after he met with God and said, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. His life was never the same. And God still wants to change his people. And that's why I I would say it's, it's something... The reason I spoke on the holiness of God is that it's been on my mind a lot the last number of months, I would say. I've been reading uh, a lot about it and listening to sermons on the holiness of God. And it is so vital that you and I know what our God is really like. His, His moral purity, his infinite moral purity, his transcendent majesty. And it's what David meant when he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a terrifying thing indeed to meet with the living God. But I would also say it is the most liberating and the most fulfilling place any believer can be. And it will result in a life for you, no matter who you are or what you are, but get to know the holiness of God. It will set you free from fear of man. It will set you free from all your 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 concerns of anything else. It will take over your life. There is no safer place to be than in the hands of the living God. Though it is the most dangerous place, it is the safest place because he is holy. He is good. And before I go, I just recommend a a book by Jerry Bridges called The Pursuit of Holiness. It's a short book, um, short chapters, easy to read, but it tells about the holiness of God. Jerry Bridges, The Pursuit of Holiness. Or equally, you could even listen to his sermons online. He's very easy to listen to. Um, I hope I'm not breaking any copyright rules in, in mentioning those things. But I encourage you, get to know your God. Above all, get to know the holiness of your God. May God bless his word to us. And may God bless you as you read his word. 
And I hope you do day by day and get to know your holy, loving, compassionate God. Surrender yourself, abandon yourself completely to him. He is holy, but he is good. And that is what is so wonderful about our God. Let's pray. Our gracious God, I thank you that you have many attributes. You are omniscient. You are omnipotent. You are, Lord God, so filled with wonder in so many ways. But above all, you are holy. And I pray, O God, our Father in heaven, that we would get to know you in your glorious holiness above all things, that nothing else would matter once we know the holy God whom we have truly got to know. Lord God, bless us, each one who has listened this morning. Thank you for your grace and your goodness to us. Bless us as we seek to honour the name of Christ in our lives day by day. And this we ask through the name of Jesus, our beloved Saviour. Amen.